AVS Media Papa Hotel Lima Echo November Radio Check. Papa Echo November, good afternoon, uh, read you five. Good afternoon, read you five as well, Papa Echo November. The Exxon radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. The Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, India, Africa, and Europe. My website, www.exxonradiotv.com. And if you'd like to send us an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. My first guest tonight, Exxon Nation, is Michael Agori. He's the author of The Sandbox. Stories of Human Spirit and War. Now, Mike is a former United States Marine and veteran of the Iraq War. His uh, short story memoir, The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War, chronicles Mike's two tours in, in battle as well as his struggle coming home from service, his personal battle with PTSD, and finding a purpose after the war. He is an active, uh, he's very active in the veteran community through advocacy events ranging from lobbying veteran legislation on Capitol Hill with Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America to speaking on numerous panels and hiring veterans in today's workforce. Mike has also contributed to the development of the Santa Mateo County Veteran uh, Treatment Court, which provides veterans rehabilitation through court-mandated programs and poor peer mentorship. Joining me now is Mike Ligorian. Mike, welcome to the X-Zone. Hey, thank you for having me. Hey, Mike. Um, you spent four years in the Marines. Thank you for your service and to the service that is being done and continues to be done by, by men and women who have volunteered to protect democracy, to protect freedom, and to protect those of us. So thank you. Oh, so thank you. It's it's my pleasure. Um, it was a wonderful experience. It taught me a lot about myself, and more importantly, it's 
it was I was able to serve the people. So, mm-hmm. and and that was uh, a humbling experience in itself. Mike, uh, you're you're quite a busy man. Uh, I understand you're doing a lot of advocacy work. Um, you know, and there's going to be a lot more veterans coming home soon. And uh, are are we prepared to to welcome the vets home to give them the proper care that they so rightfully deserve? Um, yes and no. And the reason why I have such a mixed answer is, is mostly because right now what's happening, uh, especially in the media circuit, is, is we're seeing a, the average veteran is waiting over 600 days mm-hmm. for a disability claim from wow. the Department of Veteran Affairs. Um, the VA has also come out and said that that number is going to exceed 1 million veterans by next month. Um, from a medical dis- disability uh, financial standpoint, we are not ready. Um, we have not been able to find a, a solid structure in order mm-hmm. for us to kind of welcome these veterans coming home from the Afghanistan campaign. Um, I, Iraq, you know, wound down about two years ago, and we're still seeing this huge influx. Um, but on the social side, um, the society that we live in today is more welcoming of military mm-hmm. veterans, wants to hear the stories of the post-traumatic stress, the, the battles that we're being engaged in. Um, so from a societal standpoint, we are more welcoming. We, we, we are more encouraging these veterans to find jobs, to hiring veterans, to finding some sort of reintegration. All right, Mike, stand by. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. We'll be right back. Exonation, my guest this hour is Mike Ligori. He's the author of The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War. And Mike and I will be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, our toll-free number is 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. For more information, and uh, Mike has asked us to give out this website, operationworkwarriors.org. Mike and I will be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Nation, Michael Ligori is my special guest this hour. He's the author of The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War, www.operationworkwarriors.org is a website to visit. And Mike, um, tell me, what was it like about Iraq? Well, um, you know, as uh, Iraq is just one of those places that... Um, Words cannot describe it. Somehow we've managed to do it and put it in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not prime real estate. Uh, it's it's very flat, less really, really uh, scarce vegetation. 
um, the people, half of them liked you and believed in the cause of you freeing the freeing them, and the other half hated you because they considered you invaders. Um, so it was a very difficult experience. What was the one thing you took away from from your deployments? Um, besides the fact that I survived, uh, I would probably say the I took away the meaning of friendships. And I served with a bunch of guys that I had met two weeks prior mm-hmm. before my deployment to Iraq. And I became close with them, family, trust. All those things that we we value in friendships, I had learned that the importance of that of what it really means to have a strong bond and brotherhood with other people. In two thousand six, you were honor, honorably discharged from the from the Marines. Um, Mike, what was the transition like coming out of the service back into the civilian world? Uh, it was really difficult. Um, imagine you coming home and not having anything in common with anybody at all. Wow. Um, I had these really, really uh, intense experiences. It was difficult for me mm-hmm. being shot at and then transitioning right into a college classroom. Um, I Here I am at 24 years old as a freshman, and uh, the rest of my colleagues or classmates, so to speak, are 18 years old, coming directly in from high school. Very little life experience. So... It was hard because I was the the only one that, that had served in a combat zone while all these other kids just went from living with mom and dad and then went to the local community college. Um, it was a very hard experience. Uh, it was very isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt alone a lot of the time. And my conversations with people with, were minimal. Now, you, you mentioned somewhere being recalled back to service during the President Bush troop surge, and that was when you knew something wasn't right mentally. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, in 2007, President Bush had uh, initiated a troop surge uh, to go and uh, make sure that the, the al-Qaeda insurgency wasn't getting stronger in Iraq. It was kind of like the final blow. Right. And... President Bush had gone through all the inactive reserves, as they call them, the guys who had gotten out after four years but were still technically under contract and kind of tapped the reserves. Um, When I got that letter in the mail uh, a year after I had gotten out of the service, I immediately had this flashback, um, this paranoia, this scared, like almost childlike behavior where I was so fearful of going back to that place for a third time that I froze. Mm. I didn't even feel like myself. And I remember I came home immediately after I got that letter and I locked myself in my room and I would only come out for food and water and I didn't go to school for three weeks. And it was very hard for me. Um, it's, I knew right then and there that this was not normal behavior, and so I needed to figure out what it was. At that time, Mike, did you have any idea that you may have been suffering with PTSD? I didn't even know what it was. Um, Let's just put it this way. It wasn't in the brochure when I first joined. Um, It was not advertised to me. It was not 
something I was completely aware of as a consequence. Um, nor, you know, was it something that it, they made they put on the risk waiver and then saying, hey, by the way, you could have post-traumatic stress and all these other injuries. So never knowing what it was, I did, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was this new terminology. It was almost like Greek. Um, it was a, an ancient language. I had, I had no idea what post-traumatic stress was at all. Why did you write your book? The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War. I I thought it was needed for myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was it part of the healing process? I'm sorry? Was it part of the healing process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Writing saved my life. Wow. I had gone to to therapists, Mm -hmm. and with the therapist, we had worked through some of the emotional trauma and some of the... uh, the reoccurring trauma that had been happening over my tours in Iraq, or as they call it, layered trauma. But I wasn't doing writing. And even though I was getting professional help, the writing part for me was my own self-administered therapy to gain perspective, Mm -hmm. to understand that my experiences were a bigger part than just myself. The book was the first time you told anyone of your experiences in the war and coming home. What made writing these experiences easier than just talking to someone? Nobody on the other end of that book, when I was first started writing it, mm-hmm. was listening to me. Wow. So there was no judgment. Mm-hmm. It was a reflection of myself. I could write whatever I want and not have to be susceptible to criticism or, you know, have the emotional end where people may be crying or may be emotionally affected by my stories. This was me talking to myself on a piece of paper, um, eight hours a day for six months. Let, let me ask you this, Mike. How could anyone criticize you for for going across, across the, the oceans following the orders of the Commander-in-Chief, the President of the United States, for defending democracy, for defending freedom. How could anyone criticize you? Um, Believe it or not, it happens. Um, A lot of people associate veterans Mm -hmm. with uh, the for and against of the war. Um, I have had people, I was actually on NPR last week, and Mm -hmm. there was a woman there, who had said to me that she could not believe that I had actually decided to join and fight for my country, despite the fact that I was not in favor of the war now as a veteran, looking back on that. But I was 18. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know anything. All I wanted to do was serve my country. And and you know, when I hear people taking a negative connotation to what you have done, or what your beliefs were... That person certainly didn't want to go put her life on the limb to protect anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I try to remain very non-judgmental towards it. Um, people have their own, make their own choices. Yeah. Uh, the beauty of democracy is that you can say whatever you want without being persecuted or killed for it in our country. Um, unfortunately, though, uh, you can hurt people with what you say. But I have. In the path in life that I've been in with all the events and mm-hmm. 
you know, the trauma and, and the war experiences, I have learned that to remain non-judgmental towards those people, because those are the people that I decided to risk my life for, to protect them. So they can say that stuff to me as, as a little bit difficult, that may be to say. I don't, personally, my friend, I don't think it gives them the right to say anything. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> okay? I, I, I think if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And thank God, yeah, thank God there are people like you out there who want to be part of the solution. So once again, thank you for doing what you've done and to what the men and women around the world who are fighting for freedom and democracy are doing. Oh, thank you, and uh, thank you to all the listeners out there that are supporting our troops right now yeah. in the Afghanistan conflict and the, the drawdown from Iraq two years ago and seeing this influx of veterans. So thank you to everybody out there for supporting our troops. Let me ask you, let me ask you an off-the-call, off-the-cuff question here. How did, sure. how did the members of the forces feel when there was not one ounce of weapon of mass destruction found? I think for, uh, I actually got told that last week, that a uh, top British study, um, that these high, top British study, the sources there were told that the members of the Bush administration, or members of the, of the military, uh, you know, of the military were mm-hmm. informed that there was not, no known active WMDs there. And that was the first time I had heard about it, was last week. Um, you know, people are saying you've been lied to and you've been, you've been, you know, they've, they've deceived you mm-hmm. and they've, you know, they, they try to make you believe in something that wasn't there. And all I'm going to say is this. Yeah. You know, even if there was no WMDs in there at that time at 18 years old, I believed in the mission of the United States of America, even though looking back on it, it was one of those war conflicts that we responded mm-hmm. quickly to what had happened September 11th. Yeah. Regardless of the fact, though, whether I was lied to or not, whether there was no WMDs, there are members like me in the armed forces who will tell you that they love their military experience and they would not trade in their war experiences at all. Mike, stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation, our guest this hour is Michael Ligori. He's the author of The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War. And Mike and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. The Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. Another network picks it up from 2 a.m. until 6 a.m. Then our third network picks up the show from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. And the circle starts all over again. If you'd like to send us an email, send us your thoughts. Exxon at exxonradiotv.com. Michael Ligori is my guest, and we'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away. Listening to the X Zone Radio Show live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network and X Zone Broadcast Network. Visit our website at www.xzoneradiotv.com. Till you 
to be the pains that are withheld for me I realize and I can see that suicide is painless it brings on many changes and I can take or leave it if I please And welcome back everyone. This is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll free 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger TV at hotmail.com and our website www.exxonradiotv.com uh, you know, I, I played the theme from MASH because we had um, uh, Mike Farrell on, Mike, who played uh, Captain B.J. Honeycutt on the MASH series. And, you know, here is a man who portrayed a, a surgeon in a MASH unit during the Korean conflict. And he had nothing but the highest respect and the, the, the greatest things to say about the men and women in the military. And... I, I can't understand. I'm I'm still baffled that people give you give you grief at times. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like all people give me yeah. grief. But you know, there's with every great cause or you know great kind of social support that you get for military veterans. There mm. are always people that cannot disassociate the war with the military, the people who are serving in it. Um, and it's unfortunate because that's their political opinions, um, dilute their support for the men and women that are serving. Mike, at the end of your book, you recount your very own suicide attempt and talk about an intervention that happened right as you were about to go through with it. Can you tell us about that, about the attempt and the intervention? Um, I was in therapy when it happened. Um, I was at the last week, and with everything that was going on in my life, you know, it was years and years of trauma all coming out in my in my sessions, um, and they were very intense sessions, uh, ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes weekly. Wow! With a person that I didn't know, and you're reliving everything that you ever saw and experienced, and it's amazing how our brains are because our brains are these are these supercomputers mm-hmm. that can store memories that we may have forgot about but the moment that you start seeing something yeah or you get a a, a song mm-hmm. it automatically pulls that memory up and you relive the whole entire thing and for me it was words it was smells it was yeah. telling the descriptions of the scenario and uh, of this of the scenarios of Iraq and Everything came out. At the end of the therapy session, when I was in my last week, um, I had felt so much pain and depression at that time um, because it was all coming to the surface. I didn't want to be a burden to anybody else, Um, not to my family, uh, not to my girlfriend, not to my friends. I just didn't want people to know about the world that I was living in. It was my personal battle. And I felt at that time the easiest, you know, an option for me, and it may have been the easiest way out of this, was to commit suicide. 
you know, and I was alone in my house when it happened. Um, and it was a, it was a muggy day in December and I decided to walk into the kitchen and I was going to grab a knife. And when I had decided in my mind that this was probably the best way for me to stop all the pain and the suffering that I was going through and to keep my friends and family out of this Mm -hmm. kind of uh, dark, the darkest days of my life, I I just figured it was going to be the easiest thing for me to do. But right when I went to go grab that knife, I felt my hand kind of freeze. And there was almost a point where I thought it was me just kind of getting stage fright. But the more I tried to move it towards the knife, the more I couldn't. And then it got really quiet, almost to the point, um, just to kind of relate this, this quiet to, it's almost like the calming before the storm. And uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the desert or the sandbox, as we, some of the service members will call it, the calming before the storm usually always came before you were going to get into a firefight, before mortars were going to rain down on you, or before you were going to hit an IED. Either way, the calming before the storm was such a bad thing. Bad thing. And how ironic it was that the calming before the storm had happened to me in my own kitchen, alone. Hmm. And... At that very moment in time, I also felt something that I didn't feel when I was in Iraq, which was this light presence, um, this coat, this kind of like this, uh, this, this kind of the shield that was being built around me. And I had felt as if I was being embraced by the most loving people in the whole entire world. And in my ear... I heard this voice that had told me, Michael, put the knife down, son. It is not your time to go. You have a job here to do, and it's not your time to go yet. And I remember when I heard that voice, I tried to, I thought maybe it might have been my conscience talking to me. Mm-hmm. But really what I felt was, is that it couldn't have been. Because at that moment in time, the voice kept getting stronger, but it was more compassionate and caring. And it repeated itself to me, and it encouraged me to not grab that knife. And I decided I didn't want to do it. I decided that it was too hard for me to even go through this kind of selfish act of wanting to leave this world and not deal with my problems. And right when I decided to retract my hand Mm -hmm. and close the the knife drawer, I cried for hours and hours straight. And at that point in time, that was when I realized that I was destined for something greater. Because if I was able to stop myself from killing myself at that time or committing suicide, Mm -hmm. then something in the the works in life was meant for me. How many years ago was that, Mike? It will be three years in December. Looking back over those three years, have you come to discover who or what that voice was? Yeah, I've I've tried to answer, um, try to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
people that I am very, very close to, um, you know, who do, who are, you know, priests and work in the religious kind of organizations have said that God had spoken to me at the time when I needed to be saved right. um, from myself. Um, I've had spiritual advisors tell me that it was God talking to me to inv- reinvigorate me with purpose. Um, I've even had very, very highly intelligent atheists tell me it was my conscience telling me at the time where I didn't go thoroughly go through the decision-making process. Um, I have heard it from all three rounds. But honestly, I stopped asking that question um, a couple months ago, and here's why. Some questions are better left to not be answered. And in order for me to continue on this growth, that I'm going on, regardless if it was God or not, or if it was a deity or whatever you would like to say it is, the point is is that I was saved from myself, and it gave me new purpose, and it's helped me in my transition home, and it's helped me, it's put me in positions to help my fellow veterans, it's put me in positions to talk about the struggles that men and women face when they get back from the combat zone. Um, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars are the longest war conflicts we've ever seen in U.S. history. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming to the surface within the next couple of years, more injuries. We're going to see more wounded veterans. And these are the type of things that if I were to ask my question and get it answered about who spoke to me, I think that would almost ruin the whole entire reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, you, you say you feel more alive than ever before. Would you attribute that to your, your attempt or more so on the journey you're on? Well, I think it's both. Um, definitely the attempt was the catalyst mm-hmm. for, the, for my feeling more alive than ever. Um, suicide is a very selfish act. You think at that it moment is, yeah. in time it is about yourself. It is about what you don't want to go through anymore. Mm-hmm. But what you don't realize is, is that, the, that the tons of people that you can affect yeah. if you were to go through with it. Um, but because I didn't, I felt that, I, that the journey I've been on has been a roller coaster ride. I mean, I remember there was a point where um, I went to the White House and I sat with President Obama's staff, and I was hearing my fellow veterans telling their stories of what it was like for them after Iraq and Afghanistan. And then, you know, I would go and bomb my English exam in college. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's such a, it's such a high point and such a low point yeah. that the journey kept me going. If you could tell everyone listening tonight around the world one thing about mental health, Mike, what would it be? Mental health is not a joke. It can kill you. Um, I have a dear friend of mine in Wounded Warrior Project um, who had told me about the experiences when he, when he met his first um, paraplegic uh, wounded veteran. And he had said, I'm not physically injured, uh, but and here I am, and I just have post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. 
and and here I'm looking at a guy who's gotten his leg blown off by an IED. You know, how am I just as injured as he is? And I and I remember asking him, well, why would you think that? And he said, because people don't realize that post-traumatic stress is a silent killer. Anxiety, if not taken pro- proper care of, mm-hmm. can make it worse. It can make you insane. It can make you delusional. And depression, you basically lose your motivation for life. You can even stop eating. Um, the one thing about mental health is, is we have to take it serious at any time that it's being brought up as a possible problem, part of the problem, whatever it is. We need to take it more seriously. Mike, what can, what can citizens do to help the, the men and women who are going to be coming back home how can we help? You know, like uh, you, you were saying that it, it's going to take, what, 600 or more days for, for the veterans to receive their benefits. They need to eat. They need to pay rent. They, they've got families to take care of. Who helps the veterans until they get that money? Exactly. And uh, the biggest problem that we are facing in that is jobs. Um, and it's not veterans not getting jobs. Mm-hmm. Everybody went through a really difficult, trans, you know, recession period in the country. Yeah. But now that we're getting back to it, veterans are still veteran hiring is picking up. Um, but the national average is still higher, or excuse me, is still lower than the veteran unemployment rate. What people can do is is volunteer with organizations, lend in hand. If you know that a guy's looking for a job or a woman's looking for a job, help him get a job. Mm-hmm. Give them a sense of purpose. If it's hard for them to work, encourage them to go out, meet people, volunteer. Do whatever you can to help, the, to help them come back and feel like they're part of society. Believe it or not, an ear does a whole lot if you offer it to somebody. Tell me, we've got about a minute before I have to go to my commercial break uh, here, Mike. Tell me a little bit about the organization that uh, that uh, that we were giving the website for uh, Operation Work Warriors. Yeah, sure. Operation Work Warriors was a nonprofit that I started in 2012, uh, right after I got back from Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. I had seen that there was a huge need for veterans at some sort of life coaching by a fellow veteran who has been there. Um, and I launched the organization hoping that I could provide special and individualized attention to a couple veterans over a certain time period in order for them to kind of guide them through the transition process, you know, getting their VA benefits claims, you know, filed properly, enlist, you know, enrolling in school, mm-hmm. looking for a job, learning how to network with people, or just learning to just get back into society. Um, so... The, you know, the nonprofit's been around for a year. Uh, I've had the opportunity to help out a couple homeless veterans, and it's been great. Um, and, you know, right now we are continuing to, to do the work that we've set out to do, which is kind of coach veterans and, you know, help them transition back to society. All right, Mike, stand by. You and I have to take our commercial break. We'll be back shortly. Exonation, our very special guest, and a man who... 
All I can say is nothing but great things about all the veterans. God bless each and every one of you. Mike Ligori is the author of The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War. And uh, the Operation Work Warriors website is www.operationworkwarriors.org. Mike and I will be back. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Mike Ligori is my special guest. Uh, Mike is the author of The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War. First of all, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great hour speaking with you. And once again, thank you and all the men and women around the world who are actively serving or who are veterans uh, for everything that you guys have done and continue to do. It, it, it is much appreciated. Oh, thank you, and once again, uh, thank you to all our listeners. Um, I really appreciate it um, for your support, and remember that we're still in Afghanistan, yep. and there's still a lot of men and women fighting over there, and they're coming home soon, so we need to make sure that we take the time to thank them and help them out as much as we can. Mike, your book, The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War, I understand that a certain percentage of the sale of the books goes to helping veterans. Right. So every time a copy is purchased off Amazon, um, our website at operationworkwarriors.org, or they can go to Books Inc. Um, and it's booksinc.com. Uh, every copy that is bought uh, for the sandbox is a portion of the proceeds will be given back into uh, Operation Work Warriors to help veterans re- uh, retransition back into society. Fantastic. Uh, and any more books coming down the pipe? Uh, I sure hope so. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying this one right now, but I know that there's more work needing to be done. Um, I will, I'm currently writing a couple more. Good for um, you. With a, one with a collaborative project and another one on my, on my kind of endeavors and what I've experienced so far just doing all the advocacy work and, you know, seeing what I can do, maybe a self-help book, maybe a, uh, just maybe another uh, short story memoir. You know, we've only got about two minutes left, Mike, and uh, if there was only one thing people could take away from the book, your book, and I'm talking about the sandbox stories of human spirit and war, what would it be? Um, life goes on. Uh, you got to keep on pushing through um, and value every single minute that you have. And if you really are having problems with mental health, or you're going through a rough patch in your life, um, remember two things. That one, there's people out there who want to listen and will talk to you if you need them to. And that it's important for you to understand that better days are always ahead, and life is cyclical. So I think the book is, you know, the book kind of just shows Mm -hmm. perseverance and how powerful the human spirit really is. Mike, we've come to the end of the hour. I want to thank you very much for joining us. I wish you much success. And Exo Nation, if you'd like to get a copy of The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War, Mike, quickly tell them how they can get a copy. 
They can grab a coffee off the website, uh, operationworkwarriors.org, or they can go to Amazon uh, and buy the paperback or Kindle edition. Or if you're a good old-fashioned uh, visitor of the bookstores, you can go to any booksing store located on the west coast of the United States. Mike Lagore, thank you very much for joining us. Take care. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. I look forward to talking to you guys in the future. You bet. Mike Lagore has been my special guest to this Our Exxon Nation. The Sandbox, Stories of Human Spirit and War is his book. It's available on his website. And once again, that's www.operationworkwarriors.org, Amazon.com, Book Inc. And the next time you see a veteran, go over to him or her and say thank you. Put out your hand. Let them know they are appreciated. Because if it wasn't for them... We wouldn't live in these great countries that we do where we enjoy democracy and the freedom that we so, so preciously guard. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 